Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Judeo-Christian Supremacist Nationalist Conspiracy Radio. I'm Jewish nationalist supremacist conspiracy theorist Tom Rose, together with Christian Zionist nationalist supremacist Gary Bauer for another edition of the uh, Judeo-Christian Conspiracy Radio Hour, Podcast Hour. Tom Rose, Gary Bauer with you. Obviously, it's the Bauer and Rose Show on Sirius XM, The Patriot Channel 125, and the Bauer and Rose Podcast, brought to you by our friends at JustTheNews.com. Wherever you get your podcasts, like us, subscribe, recommend us to your friends. Uh, A lot to start with uh, today, Gary, and I don't know where you want to go, but I got one that I want to throw out. I'll just say, can I just say three cheers for Elon Musk, finally? Four, maybe giving four. I mean, he's a billionaire. We want to get his attention. Uh, Finally, somebody calls out the once great... ADL, the Anti-Defamation League, for what it is, which is a left-wing Obama-Biden front group posing as a, uh, a Jewish advocacy defense organization. This organization was once great. It really was. I think even you'd agree with that. It was on the front lines of fighting discrimination rather yeah. uh, impartially. Uh, it has turned into a left-wing front group. Elon Musk attacks the ADL uh, properly for the ADL has criticized anyone that criticizes George Soros, who was a left wing misanthrope, a troublemaker, an admitted Nazi collaborator who during the Holocaust sold out his fellow Jews in Budapest for cigarettes that he writes about in his own autobiography. And because Soros happens to be Jewish, any criticism of Soros then is immediately equated by the left into anti-Semitism, even though most of Soros's public advocacy, the groups that he supports, the causes that he backs are at their very heart anti-Semitic. Yeah, you know, Tom, I I was uh, a Trump appointee for I can't remember now if it was three or four years on the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom. Uh, your uh, y- you and uh, folks working uh, for the vice president played a key role in me getting that appointment. Uh, it was a very amazing experience. Uh, I, I I may have shared before, I, I don't necessarily need to do it today, but I got into a massive argument with one of my fellow commissioners because I wanted to condemn is, uh, uh, Iran uh, as a violator uh, of religious freedom um, be, because, among other things, it was regularly calling for a second Holocaust. 
you know, as we know, I mean, you know, with with regularity, it says we will wipe every human being in Israel off the map, you know, et cetera. And I said, why do we why is that never mentioned in the Iran report that the commission puts out? My biggest protagonist, a female rabbi who happens to be married to the president of one of the major U.S. uh, teacher unions. (laughs) <laughs> she, so yeah you know and i'm saying what i and so literally the, i was told by the staff at the u.s commission of international religious freedom that the rabbi and i should uh, uh, just go off someplace over the weekend for a couple of hours and reach a compromise on this and the rabbi said that would be fine and i go no no because i'm not compromising they're promising to wipe israel off the map that's a that's a promise for a second Holocaust. I want an on the record vote. I want it on the record. I want every commissioner to have to vote yes or no. Are we going to condemn Iran for calling for a second Holocaust? And then once I did that, I won the vote seven to two. But nonetheless, <laughs> I digress. I brought it up because at another point we were going to the staff gave us a report to condemn Hungary, Hungary's government. Uh, for anti-Semitism. And I pressed them, well, what is your evidence of this? Because we had rabbis from Hungary come to us and meet us and say, sure, there are still problems, but the Hungarian government has made tremendous progress. And the staff at the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom cited as their evidence that the president of Hungary had criticized George Soros. And by the way, George Soros, Hungarian, a Hungarian refugee, a Hungarian Jew, who has spent an inordinate amount of his time and billions of dollars seeking to undermine Hungarian democracy. There is no greater target of George Soros' ire and money than uh, Hungary's uh, Viktor Orban and the conservative government there. The whole point of... The Biden administration's approach, and by the way, I guess yesterday started Jewish Heritage Month. Who knew we needed a whole month of Jewish heritage? By the way, I hate these things. I hate Jewish Heritage Month. I hate, uh, you know, Black Heritage Month, LGBTQ. What are they? They get six months. Um, I mean, it is amazing. Every it seems like every time I turn around, I'm being asked to you know fly a LGBTQ flag. <laughs> And then USA Today, helpfully the other day, had a huge piece online uh, for those of us that are not keeping up with the expanding colors of the flag. <laughs> and this was a very helpful little uh, booklet or little uh, uh, study guide so that you you can answer these questions if they're on a test. You know, I, I mean, I, I don't think you I don't think USA Today's ever done that about the meaning of the American flag. And I'll guarantee you, Tom. The average kid in college has no idea why the, what the colors red, white, and blue signify. Uh, you know, just as an anecdote, I was at a college graduation. My youngest kid graduated this past weekend. And at the commencement of the commencement ceremony, that's a bizarre wow. way to put it, at the beginning of it, at the start, uh, there was no national anthem. They sang God Bless America, which I thought was was lovely. And then the black national anthem which, first of all, it's a there nice... There was no U.S. national nope, anthem, nope, but there was nope. the black national Correct. anthem. Correct. Nope. Nope. 
And by the way, it's a lovely song. I, uh, I have no problem with the song, but to equate it with the national anthem or to have it superimposed over the national anthem. Um, well, did, your, did your son attend the school in Africa? <laughs> Actually, it's funny, but he was in the engineering school. And I don't know whether I told you this off the air or not, but they were, you know, great kids and nice kids. 80% of the kids, eight zero, were Chinese. Oh 80%. Gosh. And, you know. Would, the, you know now, Don, you're going to tell me that 70% of the 80% <laughs> intend to go back to China. Well, <laughs> if we're lucky, it'll only be 70%. This is Jewish Heritage Month, I guess. It began yesterday. The Biden administration started it. But the whole point, and this gets back to the Musk thing. The whole point of this Biden approach, of the left-wing approach to the problem of anti-Semitism is to politicize it in order to see it as solely a function of the threat from the so-called extreme right um, that so frightened the country, the chant, the um, uh, went with the Charlottesville riot in uh, 2017. Yes. Yeah. Um, exhibited in the form of these, you know, few hundred hate mongers that gathered from around the country with their tiki torches. I got no problem opposing neo-Nazis. I'm opposed to neo-Nazis, but it takes no courage to do so because you can count them on one hand. They have no power. They have no authority. They have no place in our movement. They're complete misfits. They're utterly irrelevant. If they didn't exist, the media would have to create them. Nor does it take, in my opinion... Um, any courage to recognize how vile those few people are. They don't have any political support, but that's not the case, Gary, with the left-wing anti-Zionists who sit in our Congress and are beginning to exercise a disproportionate and powerful role in that party's position vis-a-vis anti-Semitism and, more importantly, support for the state of Israel. There's great concern now. The media didn't cover it, which I guess is a good thing. Israel suffered another five-day war last week with Islamic Jihad. Over 1,200 missiles were fired by Pidge. Palestinian Islamic Jihad movement in Gaza at Israel, thankfully due to Israeli technology, American support, uh, 90% of those missiles were intercepted. Uh, There there was very little damage in Israel, a couple of deaths, which is uh, too, too many. But Israelis are now worried because their stocks are running low and part of the memorandum of understanding on the Iron Dome system and the arrow sling and the Iron Beam system, these three just extraordinary, miraculous marvels of Israeli technology, the deal is America pays for Israel's R&D. America then gets the technology. But America insisted on onshoring, which I guess is fine, the missiles themselves. So Israel isn't allowed to produce the missiles themselves. There's a great fear now. Because Bernie Sanders intimated so that Israel cannot count on a guaranteed supply of these anti-missile system components that it needs uh, to protect itself against these these missile attacks. Well, maybe they could uh, get Ukraine to give them some. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, I mean, and at some point, you know, when we're in a major war with China, uh, we will have to go to Ukraine and then probably back to Israel to ask if we could have some of those back. <laughs> I, I mean, Tom, this, this show, I, I have to say this podcast 
this podcast is going to be banned for for becoming a suicide inducer. <laughs> I mean, if you listen to us regularly, uh, you got to be really psychologically well grounded, or you're going to wonder why do I even bother getting out of bed in the morning? Why can I just end it all now? You know, it's uh, it's not. Well, I you know, I think people realize that when they listen to the podcast, it's not happening exactly when they're listening to it that's the great thing about podcasts right so as we're talking uh, uh i'm watching another story break about the weaponization of federal law enforcement the fbi and other agencies being turned into joe biden's private police force and that's getting me on the ready to jump out of the 20th floor of the hotel that i'm in right now <laughs> Uh, it, it is. Uh, we we just have issues, Tom, across the board on this anti-Semite question. You, you know, there 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 is an element of anti-Semitism in America that's very raw. It's uh, it's very uh, obvious, but it is totally uh, politically incorrect. Uh, it's for it's verboten to talk about it, and, and it's also both ironic and tragic because the anti-Semitism I'm referring to is the anti-Semitism that exists in an element of America's uh, black communities. Um, you know, you, you see it most dramatically in, in, in people like the Reverend Wright, uh, who spouted anti-Semitism from his pulpit for years, and uh, Barack Obama in his delightful life wife, our former first lady, uh, willingly sat in that church with their uh, children. And uh, there is no evidence they ever walked out in disgust or uh, filed a protest or sat down with Reverend Wright and asked him to uh, do a little bit of soul searching. We, we know, for example, that I, I think this is true, Tom. There, there are a few places in America where uh, a Jew uh, of any stripe, including an Orthodox Jew, uh, in, uh, in those parts of America that are overwhelmingly uh, Caucasian areas of the country, I I'm not aware of any street crimes taking place when a Jew walks down the street. But those crimes do regularly take place in cities like New York. And because all of our big cities have cameras everywhere, it, it is absolutely clear what the background uh, of the attackers are. And it's almost always young uh, American blacks. And nobody talks about it. No, no black leader stands up and says we need to address the anti-Semitism in our in our ranks, few people ever say that if it wasn't for American Jews, the American civil rights movement may very well not have ever gotten off the ground. Uh, American Jews were some of the first non-black Americans that rallied to the civil rights flag and stood with black Americans when standing with black Americans wasn't cool. Uh, they They stood with black Americans when uh, John F. Kennedy, Bobby Kennedy, who, and, and particularly in the case of Bobby Kennedy, I, I, I actually admire. But nonetheless, they were wiretapping Martin Luther King's phone when American Jews were standing with Martin Luther King. 
uh, in the civil rights movement in the South, where you literally, sadly, put your own life in, gen- in jeopardy to do that. So for there to be anti-Semitism in the black community in America of all places, I guess is another sign, another bit of proof that we ain't teaching kids nothing. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, that was a Christian nationalist, white supremacist, uh, anti-Semitic Gary Bauer uh, speaking the Christian evangelical conservative uh, Lion of Judah accused of all kinds of things. That wasn't me. That was Gary Bauer, um, who's just been such an extraordinary voice and leader in the movement to enhance not just Jewish-Christian relations, but uh, the strength and, and, and prosperity of, of the state of Israel. I can do you one better. I'm an, Orthodox, I'm an Orthodox Jew. I wear a kippah always, except when I'm in the shower or swimming or whatever. Um, I'm from Indiana. Uh, I have I put this keeper on in college 30 years ago, 40 years ago. I have never, never had the slightest, even foretaste of any anti-Semitic comment ever out in public in Indiana. I've moved recently down to the free state of Florida. Um, I'm on the West Coast there, a very Christian area. When I'm in New York, when I'm in Washington, when I'm in Philly, that's not the case. And to further add to your point, the only comments or um, uh, reactions I have ever gotten in 40 years living in Indiana were positive, were God bless you or Jesus loves you, which I take as a compliment. Um it's the the decent heartedness of evangelicals, the good heartedness of Christians toward Jews is it's almost uncomfortable. I mean, we're not used to this, Gary. I mean, it's it's See, this is our this is our whole plan, Tom. This is our whole plan. Stop I, being I so nice. I've been kicked out of my evangelical church, but uh, we're very we're very sinister in how we approach you. People. We're you know it, it's just you're you're too nice. It's disconcerting. <laughs> Yesterday, of course, uh, we're we're speaking on Thursday, and I just ruined it because we're not supposed to say what day we're speaking. But on Wednesday, the House Judiciary Committee, as you know, and subcommittee on the weaponization of the federal government. Uh, had, a, I think, a very important hearing. FBI employees who spoke out against the politicization within the Bureau uh, reported that they were either fired, suspended, or had their security clearances revoked. Now, you know, as an old Washington hand, that the Whistleblower Act that Congress passed some years ago protects or is supposed to protect whistleblowers. So if you find wrongdoing in your department, in your agency, there are official protocols and standards for how to uh, file your concerns in ways that, that protect confidentiality as the negotiations and investigation goes on. These whistleblowers complied 
with every jot and tittle to the requirements of the uh, the whistleblower bill, yet nonetheless either were suspended, which is against the law, or had their security clearances revoked, which is against the law. The staff report that was released early on Thursday morning has new whistleblower testimony from several current and former FBI employees um, that expose extraordinary abuse and misconduct um, uh, in the FBI. The report says that the FBI employees highlight, quote, egregious abuse, misallocation of law enforcement resources, and misconduct within the highest leadership ranks of the FBI. Now, on a scale of 1 to 10, Gary, uh, with 10 10 being uh, cosmic uh, uh, certainty and uh, 0 being what you're going to predict, how much coverage will this report get in legacy media? Oh, I, well, Tom, the, the question is the answer, right? We, we all know, sadly, uh, that the, the, the media, if, if the FBI and federal law enforcement is becoming the private police force of Joe Biden and the Democrat Party, uh, the American media is the private propaganda arm of Joe Biden and the Democrat Party. And then to add insult to injury, to, or maybe to give you a fuller idea of just what the American left wants, including very respectable parts of the American left, Barack Obama is still running around saying the biggest problem facing America is that there are still two viewpoints being expressed in the American media. It's got to be all one viewpoint. I mean, he puts it a little differently. He goes, well, the American people are confused. They, they hear one thing with one media, but they hear something completely different with another media. So they, they control 95 percent of the media. He's referring to the about 5 percent that's podcasts like this, Fox News, which is quickly, you know, appears to be changing sides as we talk. And, you know, a few other major radio personalities, et cetera. That's it. I mean, I remember growing up, Tom, there was obviously a liberal New York Times and a liberal Washington Post and big city newspapers. But there were also thriving newspapers, particularly in small town America or in cities like uh, Phoenix and Dallas and Atlanta that were conservative newspapers. They're all gone. They don't exist anymore. We are we are as close to a monopoly in reporting of news as you can possibly get without actually being in a total monopoly. But it's not enough for them. So I don't think anything is going to happen about this, although, you you know, it's not like they're hostile to whistleblowers because Alexander Vindman was, <laughs> was on the front page of every magazine. As I look back on it and think about it, he was actually on the front cover of each magazine about a week before he came public. So they really <laughs> loved that guy, you know? <laughs> no, there's... There's there's so much of this to go around back in the day that you were referring to where there were gatekeepers um, and I was a I've been a habitual a terminal New York Times reader for 40 years. Uh, The New York Times of today, as bad as the New York Times was 40 years ago, it's incomparable to how bad the New York Times is today. The New York Times today is a flat-out state-supporting propaganda machine. In the old days, the New York Times was liberal, 
no doubt about it. But their news section was much more complete than it is today. There would have been Joe Biden corruption stories in the New York Times without editorializing headlines in the news section. Today, not only are there no stories, literally none, I read that rag religiously, none on um, the uh, the uh, Joe Biden uh, corruption stories that, that were exposed last week. They haven't covered it at all. I mean, Americans are being, and the left has been brilliant at this, Gary, they're, they're dividing the country into two camps. There's the white supremacist Christian nationalist camp. Those are the very bad people. And the very bad people, of course, hate the very good people. And then there's everybody else. So all the good people are encouraged to hate all the bad people like us. The common thread here is hatred. These people, they manufacture a hate crisis to justify bigger government, more mass spying, blacklists, censorship, a fusing. You mentioned uh, uh, Bobby Kennedy, his his son, RFK Jr., uh, <clears throat> talks, I think, very compellingly, and I'm not a big fan of his on uh, vax and UFO conspiracy stuff, very compellingly about this dangerous merger of big government and big yes. business, right? But over yeah. the past 10 years, there's been virtually no increase in hate crimes convictions. This this DEI cabal, the diversity, equity, and inclusion, which is Orwellian because it's it's not diversity, it's conformity, it's not equity, it's uh, racism, and it's not inclusion, it's exclusion. And the ESG sector, comprising all these groups from Black Lives Matter to Antifa, the uh, corporate culture, the academic government sectors, all the pundits, they've they've um, now created a huge industry. There are tens of thousands of well-paying jobs in these uh, new institutions. And if they weren't able to show rising levels of hatred, Gary, they'd be out of business. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right, Tom. And uh, you're getting to this question of, you know, the hatred that we know is out there and uh, the media blackout of it when it comes from the left. People may recognize the name Loudoun County, which is a northern Virginia county that was sort of the center of what is now a burgeoning parents' rights movement because the parents of Loudoun County found out what kind of junk and in some cases actual clear horror uh, their children were being exposed to in the schools. And so parents started showing up at school board meetings there was a lot of uh, raucous uh, uh, yelling by all concerned. Uh, people found out that uh, a boy claiming to be a girl had gone into the girl's restroom and uh, ended up uh, sexually assaulting a girl in the restroom. The school covered it up, uh, transferred the student to another school in the county where he promptly went into the restroom and uh, sexually assaulted a second girl. A father at one of the school board meetings, Tom, uh, was, as you can imagine, the father of one of the girls, he wanted to speak. The, the school board kept telling him to shut up and sit down. And the police were brought in to physically rough him up and drag him out of the room. 
so that's kind of the background. And let me just interject quickly. Were it not for one Tucker Carlson, nobody in the country would have known that story. You're absolutely right. So now another story has been simmering and it broke big time uh, in just the last week. I know about it because the pastor of a church in Loudoun County uh, mentioned it from the pulpit on uh, on when, when I was watching online this past Sunday. There were a group of leftists in Loudoun County, not just a few, few. These were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, some of them holding positions in the Loudoun government, some of them on the police force, some of them on the school board, and they had set up a private chat room where they were compiling a list of the names and addresses and employment of all the people they could identify that were fighting back against what was going on in the Loudoun schools. And on this private chat room, they were saying to each other, you know, we need to destroy these people. I know that employer of that guy. I think they can get him fired. They actually got people fired for speaking up for their children. Some of the commentary on the chat room was, you know, uh, we, we've been doing a lot. But, you know, at some point, this isn't going to be solved unless it's solved with guns. And then other people, these progressive liberals chimed in and said, I'm ready. I got a couple, you know, whenever we have to do it, let's just decide when. And that was a conversation that nobody objected to. If this sort of thing was found on a private conservative chat room, oh, my God, Biden would be addressing the nation. So I thought when I heard this on Sunday, well, man, I want to see how The Washington Post handles this. Nothing. (laughs) <laughs> nothing, nothing even on the Metro page, which, which covers local news. It didn't happen. None of this happened. A police investigation has been set up in this chat room. The governor is talking about maybe getting the state involved. This is a big deal. But there is no coverage so far in The Washington Post. If the story doesn't fit the narrative, then the story doesn't exist. And if there's pressure enough that they have to acknowledge it, well, then rewrite the story to make it fit the narrative, right? I mean, we've got hugely, um, tragically disproportionate rates of black-on-black crime, very little reported. Uh, uh, Earlier in the week, uh, caught on video, because everything is now uh, closed-circuit TV cameras, uh, blacks beating a white girl to death, I think it was in... Uh, Philadelphia. But in New York City, we've got a white guy, a Marine, with the assistance of at least one, perhaps two black people, subduing a deranged, violent, black career criminal before he hurt somebody that he had threatened to do and had done several times in the past, including smashing the face of a 67-year-old woman. In the struggle, the the career criminal is unintentionally choked to death. But now the dead black criminal is a saint. The brave white Marine veteran hero 
is a vigilante and the brave black hero that helped the white Marine veteran vigilante is ignored entirely. He's been literally airbrushed out of the story because he doesn't fit the narrative of the story. Yeah, you know, Tom, that uh, that incident and, you know, which probably took uh, 10, 15 minutes on that subway car. Uh, the the thug, uh, the the street person, uh, a, a guy with a rap sheet as you know as long as my arm. Uh, when he started harassing people, saying he was ready to die, he was going to take people out, and then this uh, brave uh, ex marine uh, stepping in to deal with the situation. It was a New York City subway car, so you, know, you can pretty well guess it was a a pretty a racially diverse group of people. Some of them have gone, come forward, particularly older women that were on the car to say, I, when this started, I thought to myself, well, this is it. I'm stuck on this car. There's no way to get out. The next stop's quite a far way away yet. Uh, I, I could die here. Nobody's going to do anything, she said, looking around. And then she said, and then that brave young man, stepped up and took care of the situation other people have said tom that when it was all over and the marine was trying to revive this guy and he couldn't do it he was emotionally distraught the marine was he oh my god oh no no he was trying to you know help the guy trying to get him to regain consciousness the, the marine is the kind of people america needs or we're done. If their numbers grow, the country is over. So what ends up happening in the New York City criminal justice system on this case will have repercussions we can't possibly imagine. Because if that Marine becomes a criminal in the eyes of the New York criminal justice system, the message that will send will be so devastating to the chances of maintaining law and order in America that it that I, I'm not sure it can be overcome. We uh, spoke about this a couple of days ago in our <clears throat> in our previous podcast this week about how there's an intersectionality on the left. Forget about the right. And the intersectionality is all these different and divergent left wing groups with their peculiar or unique uh, causes the results are all the same. The end game is chaos because out of chaos, they think comes power. And we've got this, this, I forgot to throw it into my list last podcast about these, these subgroups, but one is this, the anti-hate industry, so to speak, these organizations that purport to fight hate crime. Um, well, that industry does the same thing. It creates the hate. It feeds the very tribalism it claims disingenuously to want to fight. And the only beneficiary of all the hate that they create and stoke and generate is their own hate industry. While in the process, what they do is further divide. They create the chaos. Chaos, abhor I mean, Anarchy abhors a vacuum. Anarchy can't exist. Chaos is the prelude to authoritarianism, to totalitarianism. That's what they want. There was a magnificent, I don't know if you've seen it yet, it just came out 
uh, this morning. Actually, that's the second time today I've screwed that up. We're not supposed to say what day it is. <laughs> in the in the Economist, Henry Kissinger's one hundredth birthday is uh, in two weeks on May the twenty seventh. Wow! And um, in my four years in the White House, I had the distinct honor, one of the great privileges of my life, to to uh, believe it or not, be able to. Uh, befriend Dr. Kissinger. This piece in the Economist. What was the you know they is the Economist International magazine? They want to know his thoughts about China, about Ukraine, um, and he gives them. But when he was asked, uh, the guy is razor sharp. By the way, he's a hundred years old and he's razor sharp. When he was asked, "What's the greatest national security threat to the United States?" His answer was the United States. That I mean, it was it was remarkable that our technology, our innovation, our weapons systems, our anti-access aerial denial capabilities, they're all second to none. But it doesn't matter. And he used a great analogy. He says, if you drive, I can't remember if it was a Maserati or a, a fancy, fancy, one like a car like you have, like a Lamborghini or something. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that, that's, a, that's what I order at Italian restaurants to eat. I don't even know what a Lamborghini looks like. Anyway, he says that, that we have a Lamborghini that is sitting in the garage with uh, very few, if any, people that know how to drive it and very, even fewer with the will to know how to use it. So technology uh, can mean very little if the country is bitterly divided, if we have no national sense of purpose. Uh, it was a remark I, it, I would strongly uh, uh, well, rec- as you know, being a student of history, Tom, uh, you know, Lincoln uh, gave that incredible uh, speech in which he said that, uh, you know, if, if, if we're going to fall, uh, if, if that's America's fate someday, it will be by our own hand that all the armies of the world with all the treasure of the world led by a Napoleon would never be able to sup from the Ohio River or leave a footprint on the Alleghenies. If our end is going to come, he said, we will do it to ourselves. Uh, and, of course, we're seeing exactly what he meant play out every day. Absolutely. Look, it's um, that's right. Uh, Bonaparte for a commander could not take by force a drink from the Ohio. We ourselves will be our salvation or we will die by suicide. Um, I, I he this Kissinger thing, I don't want to keep harping on it, but uh, it was it was profound that, of course, his heyday was the Vietnam War detente and its aftermath. And what he argued was that. And I tend to agree with him now, I've, I've changed my mind. Uh, detente got a lot of criticism uh, by conservatives in the late 1960s, early 1970s. His argument, I think, today bears out even more so. He said in the 60s and 70s, we were bitterly divided. We were ripped apart by the Vietnam War. We were weak domestically. We had to buy time. Detente bought us the time. He says as bad as it was then, it's worse now. And then he goes on to argue um, about our China and Ukraine policy and his uh, Ukraine analysis. I think Gary Bauer will 
uh, find heartening. Yeah, I saw part of it some time ago. I think he might have written an op-ed somewhere, but uh, but I think he points to you know what I, if I recollect correctly, a couple of fateful decisions uh, about uh, you know where NATO would advance to and uh, a, a, a sort of a, a an agreement of some sort that that the Russians thought they had and, and so forth, but. He suggested, as I recall, that it was mistakes in American and European foreign policy that led Putin to make his mistake of uh, of invading. Right. But what he now argues about for the future is how to bring the war to an end, how to win the peace without setting the stage for the next round of conflict. He says we're setting the stage for the next round of conflict by not having a strategy other than to keep the war going. He says, and this is a quote, actually, we don't want them in NATO because that's too risky. So we'll arm the hell out of them, give them the most advanced weapons we have to the point where we don't have enough for ourselves. Then we will turn Ukraine into the best armed country with the least experienced strategic leadership in Europe and They'll be unmoored to a defense alliance that could restrain them. We have no policy. We have no strategy. We, we can't even describe what victory is, let alone yeah, what, know, what, what, what uh, winning the peace would look like. You, you know, Tom, uh, in, uh, in Trump's CNN uh, town hall, uh, Republican town hall uh, a few days back, uh, I've I, I felt like one of the strongest moments uh, for him and uh, his political future uh, was when, while he was pressed very hard, they wanted him to say, you know, s- certain things he wouldn't say. But he, he, you know, on the Ukraine question, he said, look, I just want people to stop dying. I want Russians and Ukrainians to stop dying and I will bring this to an end immediately if I am back in the White House. And I I feel, Tom, that that's what a lot of Americans think, even though it's not obvious in the polls, because we've been subjected to such overwhelming propaganda uh, about this. I mean, this propaganda has been more pro-Ukraine than if America is in a war uh, the media will be pro-America. I mean, they would, they would the American media would never fawn over America in a war as much as they're fawning over uh, uh, Ukraine in this war. But I, I think uh, I, I think a lot of people feel, look, this is terrible. The images of suffering on, you know, mothers, too, you know, who weep at news that their son has died in some a godforsaken conflict for reasons I'm sure is no more clear to them uh, than than anything else that's going on in the in, in the region. Uh, it, it is sad that other than a few people like Trump and uh, RFK Jr., there's almost no political calls for peace talks. And the danger, and Kissinger says this with an he's an Atlanticist. He says this rather clearly. Our challenge is in Asia. Remember President Obama, and I know you've got to go, so we're going to wrap this up quickly. But President Obama in 2014 proclaims the pivot to Asia. We're going to move our 
our defense capabilities to Asia. Well, it was a total joke. The grand total of uh, President Obama's shift to Asia that Donald Trump inherited was one Marine Brigade to Brisbane, Australia. The question that Kissinger asks, why not why we're in Ukraine, we already made that mistake, we're there, we have to deal with it. But rather than ending the war and winning the peace, we aren't aren't weakening Putin in the process. We're strengthening him. Remember all the predictions that Russia was going to run out of missiles? Well, they don't seem to be running out of missiles. Remember how they had to move all their computer chips from, from washing machines and toasters because they didn't have any? Well, guess what, Gary? They seem to have plenty of cheap, effective computer chips. Uh, I mean, everything they said, everything they said about Russia is actually true about the United States in this conflict. We're the ones that are running into weapons shortages. Um, Now, I mean, it's just it's it's astonishing. Well, the definition of victory, of course, is the whole game. We're fighting a war of attrition with two hides, two hands behind tied our back, tied behind our back. We aren't ramping up our own production. We aren't destroying Putin's production. Either we got to ramp up production or we got to destroy his production, which comes with its own risks, or we have to push for some kind of armistice. You're listening to the Bauer and Rose Show on Sirius XM Satellite Radio Channel 125, The Patriot, and the Bauer and Rose Podcast brought to you by our good friends at JustTheNews.com. Make sure and listen to us wherever you get your podcasts. Recommend us to a friend. Subscribe. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button. And what's the last thing I got to say? I can't remember. We'll see you next week. Oh, we'll see you next week. (laughs) I knew Bauer was here for a reason. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll talk to you soon.